We'll start it right off with a review from from last week, like we do pretty much every week. Um, uh, so we are, if you remember that Deuteronomy is broken into four parts, there are three messages that Moses gives. We are at the end of chapter 3, uh, and you can, so you can see we're still in Moses' first message. Um, chapter 4 is a pretty long chapter 2, but, um, but anyway... Um, we are we are in the first of these, and this is, these messages are all designed to get the people ready to enter into um, the promised land. So here's a, a map again. We are uh, basically over here. Okay, we're on the east side of what what ends up being Israel today. Um, and preparing to go in, and that's where all of these messages take place. Um, last week, we were dealing specifically with um, one of the kings that, owned, that had land in that territory that was a real problem. And we, we used this theme, the battle is the Lord's. Israel had great fear at the two kings of the Amorites that lived um, basically from Heshbon, if you, can, if you remember where that is, and north on the east side, um, they, were, they made the people look like grasshoppers. They were so large. Uh, and that was, that was the reason that the fear of them was the reason that Israel didn't go into the Promised Land 38 years ago. Um, so the Amorites were there, um, and last week we had this. There were two kings. Um, this was the week before. Then Sihon came out against us. He and all his people at, to battle at Yahaz, and the Lord our God gave him over to us, and we defeated him and his sons and all his people. So there's one of those two kings. Uh, so the Lord our God gave into our hand Og also, the king of Bashan. There's the other one. Remember, he was the last of the Rephaim. Uh, he's, he's really even bigger than the ones that made them look like grasshoppers. And all his people, and we struck him down until he had no survivor left. So the Lord has conquered these people. And then we saw this. So we took the land at that time out of the hand of the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan from the valley of Arnon um, to Mount Hermon. So that's most of the area basically from um, the Dead Sea, on the east side of the Dead Sea, up in the north part, all the way up into, um, almost into what is now Syria today. So that land, and this was not part of the land that was originally the promised land. This was additional land that God gave Israel as they were faithful to him. And so um, the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh liked that land. It was good pasture ground, and they asked Moses for that land, and so he divided it up with, uh, between them. Um, and so that was last week. That's what we did last week. So Moses has granted them that land. The Lord has granted them that land. Um, and so now there are, um, there, there, that's two and a half tribes, so there are nine and a half tribes left 
um, that don't have land, and theirs is to be in the promised land, and that's where we are tonight. So, the Lord has conquered um, Israel's greatest fear, the Amorites. Uh, He's given land to two and a half tribes. Um, In this verse where we're starting tonight, tonight, verse 18, isn't a place where most people would start a section, start a a, um, message from, uh, because it seems to be in the middle of the story. If you have your, you know, a Bible that's got breaks here, there probably isn't a break here at verse 18, except for a paragraph break. Um, so, but there is a minor break here. And so we're going to pick it up here. There are just 12, 12 verses left to the end of chapter 3, and they really, really break well into three sections, three really manageable sections for the amount of Material And each of those begins in the first sentence with, with something that says, at that time. And so that is a good way to break up these last 12 verses. And so we're going to do that. Each at that time has a different person or persons uh, emphasized. So in each of these three sections... Um, There's a focus on a person or people. Uh, And so, here we are. Um, So, the first one is that Moses recalls commanding Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. Okay? At that time. Next, he recalls commanding Joshua. So, this is, he's retelling the story. Uh, And then he recalls pleading with the Lord. So last week we um, we kind of wondered how Israel would handle their greatest fear. Well, here's what they did: they trusted God, they trusted the Lord, they obeyed the Lord, they did what He said. There, there doesn't seem to be any indication that there was any doubt in their mind of what they should do. They trusted that the battle belonged to Him, and it did. And the battle belonged to the Lord. So this week, we're going to deal with something different. Not a greatest fear, but a greatest disappointment. Um, So this comes up in the last of these three sections that we're going to talk about tonight. And we'll spend most of our time in that last section. And we'll talk about that great disappointment when we get there. But we'll begin with this. Moses recalls commanding Reuben, Gad, in Manasseh, it's just three verses, 18, 19, and 20. And I commanded you at that time. Okay, so, so what time is at that time? So it's, it's at the same time or right after they have conquered Sihon and Og, that the Lord has won that battle for them, and that Moses has distributed the land to Reuben and Gad and Manasseh. So, who is who was Moses Moses speaking to? It's important to remember he's still talking to the whole people, but now he's got in mind and in focus. He might have just turned to them. The tribes of Reuben and Gad and Manasseh, reminding them that he had, had commanded them that they have an obligation. They have something they must do. 
And I commanded you at that time, saying, The Lord your God has given you this land. What land? That's that land that, where they are, east of the Jordan River, to possess. So they're the, this is the land that belonged to Sihon and, and Og. All your men of valor, so, or all of your men of your army, all their soldiers, all the men of military age, from 20 years and up, basically, that means. Uh, 20 years and up. So Daniel Block points out that there are three things, really, that they are obligated to do here. Um, the three things that they are obligated to do in these verses. So, the men of all your men of valor shall cross over armed before your brothers the people of Israel. So even though they have their land already, they're obligated to go fight for the land of the other tribes. This is something they had to do to, um, to have the land, to inherit their own land. And, and really not only fight for them, but lead them. Be the frontline troops for them. So... The land that you have over here obligates you to go and help your brothers conquer the other land. And you guys have to lead the charge. So, lead them into battle. Secondly, only your wives, your little ones, and your livestock, and I know you guys have a lot of livestock, shall remain in the cities that I have given you. So they can stay... In fact, we want them to stay. They shall stay in the land on the east side of the Jordan. Somebody's got to occupy that land. We don't want to vacuum over there. So we're going to have your wives. And your, it says little ones here in the ESV. It's really broader than that. It's all the people, all your dependents who can't really fend for themselves. Right? They, they might be older. They might be younger, but they are in some way unable to care for themselves and your livestock. So it might seem that that wouldn't be safe. We're all going to go fight. All the men are going to go fight, and all the women are going to stay in the city, along with the, the other people who can't fight and, and our livestock. But... What have they just been through? They know the battle belongs to the Lord, and so they willingly accept this, this charge to do it. They, the men say, yes, we're going to do this. We're going to go and to fight. Well, it seems like they have a lot of faith. Yes, they do. Right? They have seen this. And third, um, basically they don't get to go home until the job is done. So however long that takes, they have to stay and fight, and then they can go home. It doesn't say how long that's going to be, uh, just until it is done. Until the Lord gives rest to your brothers, as to you. And they also occupy the land that the Lord your God gives them beyond the Jordan. Then each one of you may return to his possession which I have given you. So 
That's pretty self-explanatory, right, that section. So let's move on to the next one. Moses recalls commanding Joshua. And this one only has two verses, verses 21 and 22. And I commanded Joshua at that time. So that's the same time, basically. You know, it might be a few hours here or there or a few days here and there, but it's at that setting where they've conquered Og and they've conquered Sihon and they've distributed the land and he's commanded them that they need to go to war for their brothers. So important to note there that he's still talking to the whole crowd, the whole people of Israel. Don't forget, I commanded Joshua at that time. And here's what I said to him. Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So Joshua and the people have seen it with their own eyes. It's kind of amazing that after 3,500 years, that's still a saying. I've seen it with my own eyes. And it it still means something um, today. Probably means pretty close to the same thing it meant back then. Now, with artificial intelligence coming, it might not mean the same thing for long. Um, But it does mean that I trust what I see. I trust what I see with my own eyes. I know it's true because I've seen it. It's a sure thing. Um, You'll never convince me otherwise because I saw it. Those kind of things that... So your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two Kings, so will the Lord do to all the kingdoms into which you are crossing. So Joshua, you remember, is the new commander, right? Moses is passing the torch here as he gives this, as he uh, gives him his commission. Um, and, And this is actually recorded in Numbers 27. So he's reminding them of what happened in Numbers 27, and, and it's important to know, because he's seen what happened, that God is going to continue to fight when they, for them when they go into the land. This is going to be the pattern. Just what happened with Sihon and what happened to Og is going to be the pattern. You've seen it with your own eyes. You can trust him. That's what the Lord is saying to Joshua. And now we get to... Well, one more verse. That was only one of the verses. You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. So why do I have those in yellow? Well, I have those in yellow because this this shows that Moses also was talking to the people and expecting them to pay attention because the you and the your and the you here are plural 
So in English, you, your, this is y'all. Okay, this is y'all. That's the best way to say it. Y'all shall not fear them, not just Joshua. For it is the Lord, the God of you all, who fights for you all. Um, so it's not, these are not just instructions for Joshua. There were singular verbs and one plural um, noun in the previous um, passage. But this is plural. This means all of you people who are listening. So it's important for us to remember that this is instructed to the people. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of the people in that land. You've already seen God conquer these other kings, your greatest fear. And so don't be afraid of them. You shall not fear them. For it is the Lord your God who fights for you. So they're not to be afraid because they've seen it with their own eyes. And what have they seen? They've seen that the Lord fights for them. So the last generation had seen things like that so that they should have known. They have seen almost the same exact words, actually. I mean, they're not the exact words, but the same meaning in Exodus before they crossed the Red Sea. The Lord will fight for you. It should have been enough for the previous generation to take them into the promised land, but they wouldn't go. Why not? Because they became afraid. They knew the same things. They had watched, they had seen with their own eyes the Red Sea split and come crashing down on the Egyptians. So they'd seen it with their own eyes, but their fear overcame them. And so Moses thinks it's important to say, Believe what you see with your eyes. Seeing is, is believing. Except for one, it wasn't before with, your, with what your dad did, but it is now. Right? Seeing is believing. You've seen it with your own eyes. So if you've been here on, they should have had that ingrained. Their father should have had that ingrained. They'd, they'd seen it. These people should have had it ingrained. They did. Right? They faithfully Followed. If you've been here on Sunday nights when we were going through Exodus, it should be ingrained in your, your mind too. The Lord is the one fighting for you. The battle belongs to the Lord. It's repeated over and over throughout Scripture, and we need to pay attention to that. The battle is the Lord. So if you read your Bible and you haven't been here on Sunday nights in Exodus and in, so far in Deuteronomy, That should be ingrained in your mind. It's repeated over and over and over again. The Lord fights for us. You shall not fear them. For it is the Lord your God who fights for you. So so he's he's reminding them of what, what happened in uh, Numbers 27, as I, as I mentioned. Joshua is the new leader of Israel. Um, so he's made sure that Joshua is equipped for the job. He's had on-the-job training for a long time with Moses, probably close to maybe all of 40 years, maybe the full 40 years. Um, but it would be 
Joshua that would lead the people across the Jordan and into the promised land. Which reminds Moses that it won't be him. It won't, he will not be the one to lead them into the promised land. And it reminds him of what almost certainly was his greatest disappointment in life. Moses recalls pleading with the Lord. And I pleaded with the Lord at that time. Okay, same time. Right? These things all happen in rapid succession. So at the same time as Joshua is commissioned, at the same time the land is assigned, at the same time they defeat Sihon and Og, all at the same time, these things happen one right after another. When, when Moses divided up the land, all these things are tied together, and they're all tied together in numbers as well from where he is uh, recounting this. So the Lord was providing what he promised and more because he'd promised them the promised land. They were not expecting to get this land on the other side of the Jordan, but they got it. God has been doing more for them than he even promised them that he would do. So Moses starts his pleading because of his great disappointment. So Moses is coming to the end of his life. Uh, as many of you know, it's 120 years old, which is like the ideal lifespan in, in the Bible. But he knew it. He's coming to the end of his life. He knows he's coming to the end of the life. his life. God has picked his successor. They've commissioned his successor. And Moses has a long, long, long life to look back on. Been a lot of ups and downs in that life. Been a lot of hard times in that life. Been a lot of things that he has done wrong in that life. Been a lot of sin in his life. He's a murderer, right? Almost certainly, though, his greatest disappointment in life is still ahead of him at 120 years. Now, makes you wonder what you're, I mean, what, what a disappointment in life is. I, I was like, you know, what is my greatest disappointment in life and it, it struck me that you know we don't really talk that way we don't really think that way I don't know if we think that way we don't really talk that way I don't very often hear somebody say to me what's your greatest disappointment in life um, and I and I wonder why that would be I mean we all probably have disappointments in life Maybe we just don't like to think about them. I'm not sure exactly what that is. If we, you know, I knew somebody that knew psychiatry, he could probably tell me something about that, why we don't talk that way, but maybe it's different for you. I don't talk that way, and I don't think that way. Um, but it does seem really common for people to talk about regrets that they have in life. I've never been able to understand the people who, especially mature adults, um, seasoned adults, 
who say, I have no regrets. I mean, I, I, I seriously can't understand that kind of thought process. It's got to be one of two things. One, it's got to be either you have lived this long and have learned so little that you can't think of anything that you would have changed in your life. Or it's got to be you're just not being honest. You're not being honest with yourself. You're not being, maybe you're not being honest with others. Maybe you're trying to hide something, but you're not being honest. If you say, I have no regrets, something is, something is amiss there. So for most of us, I think, if we stop and think about regrets we have, and then try to think about disappointments, we'll probably come up with some because they are often really, really connected really strongly um, with regrets and disappointments. I'm sure Moses was. One of his greatest regrets had to do with his greatest disappointment, the greatest disappointment of his life. So here's how Moses deals with his greatest disappointment. So Moses had watched the, watched the Lord pave the way to the promised land for this generation. Um, he has seen him take out all of their fears, right? He has removed the reason that they would not and that they could not enter the promised land, the Amorites, and it seems like they're just domino after domino falling. They're all going to fall. And so before they enter the promised land, Moses thinks, well, there's, there's one more thing that I should do. And I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God. So just a note here before I take that too far. It's in yellow, O Lord God. So most of us understand and know that when we see the word Lord in all capital letters in our English Bibles, Lord stands for Yahweh. Right? Lord, capital I, when they're all, all letters are capitalized, or Yahweh. Otherwise, uh, Lord with lower level referring to God means Adonai, which means sovereign. Um, Lord, basically. So, Lord, all capitals, means Yahweh. So what does this mean? O Lord God with all capitals of God. Well, um, it's that way because it wouldn't, work to say very well to say oh lord lord it would give and then the lord all capitals because it's the same thing god here in all capitals is the name for yahweh so the only major translation that 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 we normally use that translates it this way which is a better way is the niv oh sovereign lord O sovereign Yahweh. So just know that in your Bible, 
Sometimes it will say Lord God, and God will be all capitalized. It's the, same, it's the name Yahweh, just like the capital Lord is. But if you have an NIV, it'll read like this. O sovereign Lord. So, Moses begins pleading with the Lord by honoring him as the sovereign ruler of the universe, whom he knows, who introduced himself to, to Moses as Yahweh. O king of the universe, Yahweh. So Moses is showing great honor to God and great deference to God and great humility. So Moses is humble, as we know. He's the most humble man on the earth. But he's submitting to God's authority in his request. We'll go back to the ESV. O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty and so it was, it was 40 years ago in the desert, roughly, when the, when the burning bush happens. Those 40 years are not enough. You've only begun to show me how great you are and how mighty you are, your great strength. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? So... Please, Here, here's Moses' plea. Please, let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country, and Lebanon. It's a simple plea, really. Um, it's not a long plea. It's not a long prayer. You've heard the whole thing already. But he wants to enter the promised land. He's led Israel for these 40 years. He's old. He's, he's not going to live much longer. He knows he can't lead the people into the promised land and, and fight with them. But he's lived a full life. Um, and he says, just let me go take a look. So to us, it seems like a reasonable request. That seems like that seems good. God's been doing more than He said He would do, um, and so maybe, just maybe, Moses thinks that He will change His mind, that He will let him go into the Promised Land. And but there was just that one incident where He struck the rock when He was supposed to speak to the rock. And it says he didn't honor God. The Lord said, so he says, you will not go into the promised land. So there's that. Right? But, so why would Moses think that the Lord might have let him go into the promised land? Well, let's remember Exodus after the golden calf. Exodus 32, when the Lord says he's going to destroy all those people. Here's what, here's what you, and the Lord said to Moses, go down your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly 
out of the way that I commanded them, and they have made for themselves a golden calf, and have worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, leave me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation out of you, Moses. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains or to consume them on the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and all this land that I have promised. I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it. Verse 14. Chapter 32, verse 14. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing upon his people. Maybe he'll do that for me. So, before we jump too quickly on Moses not praying according to God's revealed will, um, which said he can't come in. I mean... He has interceded for the people before. And he is a person, right? Moses is a human being. He's not perfect. Um, he doesn't know all that God knows. But the Lord, this, this tells you that, that God wasn't pleased with his request. But the Lord God was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. So if you go back to Numbers 20, it looks like he was angry with Moses as well. Um, so was Moses just a bitter man? Is that what the deal is here? The Lord your God was ang- the Lord was angry with me because of you, and would not listen to me. So there there are lots of there's there's lots of discussion and argument over about what this is Moses being righteous or not. He's a person, right? He is subject to sin. He's a great example. Moses is a great example for us, but he is a real person. He was a real man. He was a human being with motives and flaws and sins. But you can tell that God is not pleased. He goes on to say this, and the Lord said to me, enough of you. Basically, enough from you. Don't speak to me about this again. So we might think that denying Moses to go into the promised land um, isn't really right for God to do. Shouldn't he be more, shouldn't God be more forgiving? Right, shouldn't, shouldn't, I know I'd be more forgiving than God, Right? Shouldn't God be, shouldn't God do 
Shouldn't he let him in just to go take a look? So, so what can we take away from, from this? Well, what, what can we learn from great disappointments, this great disappointment of Moses? Well, when we see things like this, I think it's really, this is really, this is a challenge for us. Because all kinds of things happen like this that we think, we think things like this. Well, hey, it's not the way that I would do it. But I'm not God, and God can do what he wants. He's God. And so, which is true. He's, in, he's God. He's in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. But would it be a better way to think about it, and more in line with the understanding God is in the heavens, he does with it, whatever he pleases, if we had this, rather than thinking this way, it's not the way I would do it, but God can do whatever he wants. Rather than thinking that way, as like an excuse, I'm making an excuse for God because I can't understand him, and so I can't, I can't help it. I would do it differently. But what, would it be better to think? God did what was right. God did what was good. God did what was kind. All his works are done from kindness. God did what was gracious. God did what was loving. And I should praise him for it. I should praise him for this decision that he made. Um, That's what happens in Psalm 136 about when he destroys Og and Sihon. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love Endures forever. The one who killed Sihon and Og because his love endures forever. That's why. God, we, we need to change our thinking to be more in line with him. Not just say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Can't try to understand. I wouldn't do it that way aligning ourselves with what he does with him in his will like it said in in the hymn we said to to know your will and to way, your ways to know to understand your will and your ways the fact that it's hard doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to understand it that god is gracious we know all his works are out of grace he's gracious he's abounding in steadfast love All his works are righteous. All his works are out of kindness. And my biggest disappointment in life, like for Moses, might not have been a disappointment at all for God. God has a real purpose for what he does. I don't know better than he he does. I wouldn't be more loving than he would be. I certainly wouldn't be more forgiving than he would be. There's a lot of places we could go for here, from here. I'm going to just go. The Apostle Paul learned that lesson, by the way. Um, we'll, we'll close with, with this. The Apostle Paul learned to think like that. He learned to think like that about disappointments. 
This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And you are probably familiar with at least part of this. This is about Paul's thorn in his side. Remember that passage. Here's what it says, verses 7 through 10. He's figured out that, there's, that, that God's got a purpose in this. So to keep me from being, becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, here's his answer. God gives him an answer too, just like Moses. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's why you have this disappointment in your life. God said to Moses, don't speak to me about it again. We don't know that he said that to to Paul, but Paul just says, I know that that's the case. This is the case. I prayed. The Lord answered. Therefore, and this is the really amazing part, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, I am content Content with this thing that he was praying to get rid of. I'm content with weaknesses. I'm content with insults. I'm content with hardships. I'm content with persecutions. I'm content with calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Go back to that part. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses. In his greatest disappointment, he's going to rejoice. So let's close in prayer, um, and then we will have our final hymn. Now, Lord, we, are, um, we come before you tonight and, and have your word in front of us. I pray that you would give us the mind of Christ that you would help us to trust you, to believe you when you say that all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's a great verse, Lord. Help us to believe it with all our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.